0: You may be seated, and if you would open your copy of the Scriptures to Galatians chapter 6. This is the last in the series on Galatians. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we will be moving into the book of Acts. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11 through verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hands. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For. Our Father, I pray that as Your Word has been opened and read, I ask that You would help me by Your Spirit to boast exclusively in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. where He said, He, he made it his aim in preaching to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Father, if we seek Christ this morning, if we put our trust in Him, we have done all that we could do. We have done that which is most important and that which will carry us through this life. Father, um, help me to communicate uh, that glorious, that awesome truth this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. In this last uh, passage of Galatians, verses 11 through 18, the Apostle Paul has given us a summary or a recap of Galatians. I want to look at that passage in closer detail. But before we do that, I want to give you a tool to help you share your faith with others. So on the back of your bulletin where we normally have a sermon outline, I've given you a... Uh, an outline that will serve as something of an outline for the sermon, but more than that I want it to serve for you as a tool that you can put in your, your gospel tool belt that you can pull out and use at a moment's notice. Uh, this is a an illustration that I learned from Randy Pope. Um, in his book, the answer he he uses this illustration, and and the beauty is is simplicity, um, because in this illustration, you can teach some another Christian about the doctrines of grace uh, using. The we lost a lot, he did a lot, we get a lot, contrasted with the we lost it all, he did it all, we get it all. Or you can use just the second half of this tool as a gospel outline. We lost it all, Jesus did it all, we get it all. Uh, take a couple of scripture references that illustrate those three points, commit them to memory, and you have a very simple, yet solid and powerful um, uh, outline for sharing your faith with an unbeliever. Because the gospel is, we lost it all. Jesus on the cross did it all, And when we trust in Christ, we get it all. That is the gospel. So I want you this morning to put on your learning hats and turn on your long-term memory and add this as a tool to your tool belt for sharing your faith. Uh, As I said, we'll look at the text specifically in a moment, but if you'll look with me at this outline. Because this outline also helps us understand the message of Galatians. It helps us to do what Paul is doing uh, in this last passage, uh, recapping or uh, or summarizing uh, his letter. So as you look, you'll see on the back of your bulletin that I have the first part of this titled, The Popular Distorted Gospel. Uh, this is what most Christians believe. It is what is unfortunately preached in most pulpits, uh, this, this version of the gospel. Um, Being popular doesn't make it necessarily wrong, so why am I saying that it is wrong or distorted? Uh, Actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in asking that question. I wanted to ask, why is it popular? Uh, First of all, it is popular because um, it makes uh, the final appeal to man's will. And if man's willingness to believe, or man's will is the aim then this is a popular approach to the gospel because what you can do is you can mar- market the gospel to modern man. You can market the gospel to, um, to what will be most palatable for changing their will. It's also popular because it leaves the control of one's destiny within their own control. And this issue of control is It's very important to our culture. People want to be in control. And this idea that they get to, um, that they don't have to lose control of their destiny, that they don't have to lose control of their life, is very palatable uh, to modern man. And it also. And I think this is the biggest reason. It gives humanity just a smidgen of goodness because you get to choose God. Jesus did His part. Adam did His part, in making you a sinner. And this modern, this this popular, distorted gospel says, in the final analysis, you get uh, to choose God. And so that I think is, there are several other reasons, um, but I think this these are some reasons why this is a popular uh, view of the gospel, even though it is a wrong view of the gospel and so this this um, this popular distorted uh, gospel starts off with "We lost a lot." Um, it is being taught in most of the churches in uh, throughout our nation and throughout the world that uh, we lost our perfection in Adam's fall. Adam was perfect in his fall um, He lost his perfection, he lost his standing with God, and we as his descendants lose that perfection. Everyone is a sinner, after all, most people would believe, um, that are sitting in churches this morning. We also, in uh, this theme of of losing a lot, we lost our spiritual health. You could liken it to falling out of a three story window, breaking several bones, probably having internal injury, but you are still alive and you are able to crawl um, into the doctor's office and ask for help. But you're not yet dead, or fall, or we could liken it to falling over a cruise ship. over the side of a cruise ship, and and just before you drown, you're able to reach up and grab a life buoy. Um, you're, you're you're not in a healthy position spiritually, uh, but you are able to to do that last little bit to uh, to grab on to uh, to God. Also. As we think about losing a lot, we've lost our spiritual standing. We don't measure up to God's perfect standing. uh, But we have a little goodness remaining. And so uh, the last sub-point under, we lost a lot, we did not lose our ability to make the decision to follow Christ. And again, just so I am clear, I am talking about a popular but distorted view of the gospel I'm not talking about what the Bible teaches the gospel says and so as people say well we have that, that uh, ability to, deci- to, to decide to follow Christ well it's up to us to make that decision so if we have the ability to make that decision we also must somewhere have that inclination to do so and that's that little bit of goodness that's left in us So we lost a lot, according to this distorted view of the gospel. And Jesus did a lot. Well, he did do a lot. He died for sinners. He died for the sins of, and this is again, not what I believe, certainly not what the Bible Bible teaches, but uh, it is widely taught that Jesus died for the sins of every individual who has ever lived. Well, if He died for the sins of every individual who has ever lived, then all would be justified because all people's sins would be uh, would have been paid for. And therefore, all people would be justified, all people would go to heaven. Well, that's not right. And so they've modified this view. Well, Jesus died for every sin... Of of every individual that's ever lived, except for the sin of of except for the sin of unbelief. Well, if you haven't died, if if he if he didn't die for the sin of unbelief, then he really didn't die for every sin. So it's been modified to say that Jesus simply made salvation possible. That the sins that he paid for go unused if a person doesn't believe. That he spilled his blood unnecessarily for people who will never believe and who will spend an eternity in hell. And so, uh, Jesus did a lot. He made salvation possible. And because he did a lot, we get a lot. We get forgiveness of sins. We get adoption into God's family. We get eternal life. But, and here is the the problem that I want to illustrate this morning that goes to the heart of the book of Galatians. Since we entered into salvation by our own choice, and again I'm saying it, And I'll probably say it a few more times, this is not what the Bible teaches. So I want you to be clear. Um, But since we entered this salvation by our own choice, um, there's this idea that because we made the final decision... We have to keep doing something in order to stay in this salvation. We entered into this salvation by our own decision, so we have to do something to stay in this salvation. And so you hear this sentiment um, oftentimes uh, that if I don't live as I should, God won't love me as much. Um, I saw a sign... I don't know if they've changed it. They tend to change it on Sunday morning. But one of the churches, as I was coming, coming in this morning, it was something about if we're not full of God, then He won't be full of us, or, or something like that. And, and it was this idea of if, if we don't live as we should, God won't love us as much. And so, also, there's this idea that well if I haven't read my Bible today or if I haven't prayed as uh, adequately as I should well then bad things are going to happen to me we live as orphans uh, without this this certainty of God's love and it all goes back to whether um, to this this idea that we make the decision to follow God we have this part to play that We lost almost everything. We lost a lot. Jesus did almost everything. He certainly did a lot. And we get almost everything. We certainly get a lot. And it ends up being a performance trap where we live as orphans, wondering if God really truly loves us, wondering if our if we have really done enough, if our faith or our belief has really been sincere enough. Well, I want to contrast that with the unpopular yet true gospel. And this is what I believe the Bible teaches. Uh, that we lost it all. We lost all virtue and all goodness. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. doesn't say that you were sick in your sins. It doesn't say that you lost your spiritual health. It says that you were dead in your sins. As for you, the Apostle Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient All of us, not some of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Ephesians 2 verse 3. By nature objects of wrath Romans 5.10 says for if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life hear that? the apostle Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 that we were God's enemies and God reconciled us to himself it's not that we were God's enemies and then suddenly we changed our minds and we reconciled ourselves to God and He met us halfway. We were God's enemies. It was com- There was no inclination in us to love God. Our only inclination was to hate Him with all of our hearts. In fact... Romans chapter 8 verse 7 and 8 says the sinful mind is hostile to God it does not submit or it does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him he cannot understand them for they are spiritually discerned I'm sorry I'm I jumped into a different verse. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's impossible. Left to your own, you would never come to God. Left to your own, you would hate Him with all your heart, all of your life. The only reason you are in Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ intercepted you. And Jesus Christ regenerated you. It is so interesting to me when I hear Romans 3.10 quoted and nothing else. Romans 3.10, as it is written, There is no one righteous, no not one. You've heard that. It's in all the gospel tracts. But that's just part of the sentence. The sentence goes on for nine more verses. Verses 10 through 18. It says, there's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open grazed. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And it goes on and on and on. And I've often wondered, why do they not quote uh, verses 10 through 18? The reason is is because the gospel tracts are appealing to the will of man, and it is more palatable to the will of man to simply hear that you're not righteous enough rather than to hear your throat is an open grave. The poison of vipers, serpents, is on your tongue. Your feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark your way. The way of peace you do not know. There is no fear of God before your eyes. They gloss over that by leaving it out. As a gospel minister, the gospel is the entire word of God. And the aim is not to simply conjole the will to make a decision. The aim is to present Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And the best way, the biblical way to present Jesus in all of His glory is to present us in all the blackness of our sin. We lost it all all of our virtue, all of our goodness. We have lost all of our spiritual life, all of our ability. 1 Corinthians 2.14, you heard me, I jumped into this uh, verse halfway through a second ago. The man without the Spirit does not... In other words, is not capable, does not have the ability. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, for they are are spiritually discerned. We can preach the gospel to where blue in the face. And if the Spirit of God is not working in that person, the gospel, which is the wisdom of God, which is the best news that the the world has ever heard, will remain to them as foolishness. It is the Spirit of God that makes the difference. We have lost our ability to love or to follow God. We do not, we cannot, in and of ourselves, uh, choose God. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we hate God. By, and we have no standing with God at all. It's not that we are simply um, heading in the right direction and fell just before the finish line. No, we were headed in the opposite direction from God. We have no standing before Him. And He is so infinitely, infinitely, infinitely holy, 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 that even if we only sinned once, we would be infinitely apart from Him. But we sin multiple times Uh, Every moment of every day, we are infinitely away from Him. We have no standing. We have no right to heaven. So we lost it all. The beauty is against that black, that very black backdrop is Jesus did it all. He atoned for all of our sins. And this is where... Um, I'm not going to explain it, but I am going to state it. He died for the sins, for all of the sins of His people. He died for the sins of His elect. This is what we call the definite atonement. He died for every last sin of His people. He died for the past sins, the present sins, even the future sins yet to be committed. him. They were all nailed to the cross. Jesus there on the cross purchased with His blood our full redemption. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. Our good intentions cannot save us. He did it all 2,000 years ago. We weren't even living then. Even the people living then couldn't crawl up on the cross and help Him pay for those sins. He paid it all. And not only that, within this theme of Him doing it all, He is the one who brings to us spiritual life. What we call theologically regeneration. He draws us to, his, to Himself. It is His gift of grace that causes us to make the decision that we do need to make. Um, but it is His gift of grace that causes us to make the decision to believe in Jesus. He works sanctification in us. Remember John chapter 15, verse 5? Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. He, by His Spirit, overcomes the power of the flesh in us. And He will carry us to glory. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, width or breath, nothing under all creation is able to separate us not from our love of God. But from the love of God in Christ Jesus, His love for us. That's the beauty. We didn't make this, we weren't the ones who made this decision apart from God. And when He calls us to Himself, He keeps us. And it is His unchanging decision, a decision He made in eternity past. Brothers and sisters, you are secure. In God, He died for you. He is not going to turn His back on you. Therefore, it follows: we get it all. We lost it all. He did it all, and everything He did, we get. We get His full righteousness and complete forgiveness. We get the moral ability to do the right things for the right motives. We have God the Holy Spirit living in us, convicting us of sin when we don't do the right things, empowering us to be more than overcomers through Him who loved us. And we get the assurance of God's love regardless of what we do. And that regardless of what we do. When I preached through this passage just earlier in Galatians. It made me uncomfortable then. It makes me uncomfortable now. But that is the gospel. Your sin cannot separate you from the love of God. It may cause your assurance to waver. But it cannot Cause God's love for you to waver. If you are in Christ, God loves you. Regardless of where you find yourself today, you can turn to God and say, God, I can't believe I have been that insolent and that rebellious and that um that uh, willing to sin against you, please forgive me. And you can know that He loves you. So what does all this have to do with boasting exclusively in the cross? Look at verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Uh, Paul had a secretary. He would use a secretary, in fact, in another of his letters. The the secretary makes a little note. I, his secretary, or whatever, send you my greetings as well. Uh, And presumably had very bad eyesight. And so he is, in verse 11, decides... I'm going to let them know that I am writing this last little bit with my with my own hand to underscore the importance. He's basically adding this John Hancock. You know, John Hancock signed the Declaration of Independence so so boldly and with his letter so uh, with his handwriting so big that when the British wanted to come and arrest him and executing for treason. He said, "Come and get me." Um, he was underscoring the importance of the Declaration of Independence. The Apostle Paul is underscoring the importance of the book, of the message of Galatians by writing in his in his own large hand. And here is the reason why. Verse twelve because of these Judaizers that have been throwing the Galatians into confusion it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ what Paul is doing is he's making this last appeal he's made appeal after appeal don't give in to this circumcision because in doing so you're giving over the gospel you are distorting the gospel and so he's making his last appeal and He's saying the Judaizers have impure motives... They want to impress others. They want to. And that's what he means by showing, making a good showing in the flesh. Namely, they want to impress the Jews living in Jerusalem, because what's happening is the Jews living in Jerusalem are persecuting Christians, and these Judaizers have decided we'll build a bridge between the Jews and the Christians. We will, uh, if we can get Christians simply to um, submit circumcision. We can tell the Jews that we're. That the, that the Christians are keeping the law of Moses. And so by doing so, they can lighten the uh, persecution that they were experiencing, because they were experiencing great persecution, as we'll see through the book of Acts. And so these are, these are Christian Judaizers. Um, they want Christ, but they want circumcision. Okay? Paul, and we would agree, they are preaching another gospel, so they're not really Christians. But Jesus, plus anything else, um, is a distortion of the gospel. Remember Galatians chapter 1. Uh, if, we, if myself or anyone else, even an angel from heaven, preaches to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. So they have distorted uh, completely the gospel of Christ. Why did they want to do it? To avoid persecution. They wanted Christ and they wanted the easiness of life that came without the persecution. Um, it is very tempting to take that easier path uh, in our walk with Christ. You know, we may not be facing the same kind of persecution, but we may de emphasize the gospel because we value our reputation or to keep the peace within, with friends or with family or to avoid mockery. Can you see from this passage what Paul said in verse 12? They're distorting the gospel that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Can you see how dangerous it is for you to live your life out of line with the gospel in order that you can live a more easy life? Verse 13, Paul says that they are hypocrites, these Judaizers. They are saying, well, I'll just read the passage. For even those who who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're saying that you're keeping the law by, by being circumcised, but yet there's this whole rest of the law, all the ten commandments that they are breaking. He's saying no one's able. If you go back to the first point, the first couple of minutes of the sermon, you lost it all. No one is able to keep the law. And so he says in verse 15 that's why circumcision counts for nothing. Because you can be circumcised and still be a sinner. It's Jesus and his blood that is shed, not the blood that is shed in circumcision that makes the difference. And Paul says, then in verse 14, which is the heart of the message, um, that he is focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all, therefore we get it all. He did it all on the cross. Remember when he said, it is finished? That's what it meant. Our redemption was completely paid for. He had finished his work there on the cross. We have nothing to add. It was finished there. All we can do is trust in Him. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says in verse 14, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, um, By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle Paul is a new creation in Christ. The end of verse 15. Um, And it was what Jesus did for him. So how do you boast in the the gospel? And I need to end because I've gone long. You boast in the gospel of Christ by looking to him. As the Apostle Paul said um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I aim to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that is the banner that hangs over your life and you live your life only in wisdom, only with the wisdom of that statement, that Jesus Christ and Him crucified is all I need, that is revolutionary. Think about it um, for a moment. Um, What does that do for legalism? It destroys it. As we've already seen from uh, Paul's point here to the um, Judaizers. What does it do to worldliness? Paul says, I have been crucified to the world. And uh, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It destroys worldliness. All that matters are not your toys Not your house, not your cars, not your wealth, not your job, not your health. Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross for you. And you get everything that he purchased. You have eternal life now. You have the glories of heaven coming. It destroys worldliness. What about hope? It undergirds and boosts that hope. I say this, I added this in it's not in my notes, but I was talking to Holly this morning, we talked for about forty five minutes on the phone about her her dad um, and his His mind is completely gone right now because of the the um the medical condition and then this morning, they found out that the uh the sores that he had on his legs, which caused them to to amputate his legs, had been found on both his arms, and so they're thinking they're going to have to amputate both arms. And she's looking to me for some hope and some encouragement. All I can say is Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and for your father. And her father is just rejoicing in God and is longing to, to see Jesus. In fact, it almost sounds like he's a little jealous to be this close. And yet... A little far away. Um, and, and, you know, like Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 1, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And, and Holly, over the last, you know, four years, three years, has, has had her relationship just restored to the fullest with her father because of her faith in Christ. And uh, all I can tell her is Jesus Christ. But then I think about it. That's the best news that I can give her. Wherever you find yourself, the best news that I can give you is Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And that everything that He purchased in His his death and resurrection is yours. And it is promised to you written in the blood of Christ. This is the message of Galatians. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn the secret of boasting exclusively in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, It is so tempting to be like the Judaizers and to to choose ease of life over um, faithfulness to Jesus. It is so easy to choose the things of this world rather than those eternal things that uh, will not perish, spoil, or fade. It is so easy to treasure the things on this earth rather than casting our desire into Jesus and, and making Him the treasure of our hearts. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you have given us so that even in our worldliness and, and, um, and in our uh, desire for ease of life, that uh, you've forgiven those sins as well. Father... I pray that you would um, uh, be with the brokenhearted. Um, I pray that you would encourage the downcast. Father, I think of Holly this morning. Father, I pray that you, um, by your spirit, would stand with her and with her family. With her, Father, um, we pray because you have told us to pray for whatever we ask. We, we pray, if, and we feel a little selfish in praying it, that you would restore his body to health, that you would remove these infections on his arms, even though it is his desire to go and be with you. Um, father, um, we, we ask for his healing. And uh, Father, I pray for the healing, whether emotional or physical, um, of others in our congregation. Help them to keep their eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus and on that empty cross on which His blood was poured. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.